If this is the fourth Sunday of Easter, and it is, then this must be, as the fourth Sunday of Easter always is, Good Shepherd Sunday. As many of you heard last year, this is a Sunday that has always been particularly meaningful to me. There are a number of reasons, but foundationally, I believe it's because one of my first memories of church was of a painting, a large picture, in my kindergarten or first grade church school classroom of Jesus the Good Shepherd walking home with that lamb wrapped around his neck, that lost sheep being saved and brought home. Somehow or another, I always identified with that little lamb, that lost sheep, and much of my life and the spirituality that I have hope to be open to is nurtured by that memory of being valued, found when I am lost, which I often am, and bring ho being brought home into the fold. Those of you who were here last year know that another reason this is important to me is because my brother is an actual shepherd, makes his living raising and particularly shearing sheep up and down the East Coast from Maine to New Jersey, selling fence, antibiotics, and various other paraphernalia for the care of sheep alpaca, and llamas. And on one birthday, gave me the shepherd's crook that I used as part of my sermon. I always enjoy that he teases my mother about having two shepherds for sons. This morning, I do not want to talk so much about the Good Shepherd, who is, after all, not the local pastor, but Jesus himself, the shepherd of all of our souls. I don't want to talk about the Good Shepherd so much as the, about the relationship between pastors and the flock between clergy and congregations. I want to do that partly because it seems opportune, but particularly since I believe this parish is about to call a new settled pastor, and because this itinerant pastor is now looking for new pastors.
I want to start by sharing with you what you already know, and that is that many of you have told me that our time together has been meaningful. You have seen it as a blessing. You have felt cared for and loved. Many of you have told me that, and you know how deeply I appreciate it. And I've usually retorted by saying, and you know that that's possible, because both my wife Pat and I have felt so welcomed, so loved, so affirmed, and supported by you as we have done ministry together. It only works when it goes both ways. So I want to talk about the quality of that relationship this morning, about the love that makes it possible. Whenever I am asked to preach at the celebration of new ministry, and that does happen from time to time, I attempt in one way or another to say that at the center of every effective ministry is a loving, understanding, accepting relationship between pastor and people. What do I mean by that? I mean that a congregation like its members are living, breathing human beings. Sheep may do just fine with food, water, green pastures to lie down in, and safety from wandering predators. But human beings need more. We desire full and abundant lives. We need to have a sense of meaning and purpose. Some would call this fulfillment. We also want to be recognized, valued, respected, affirmed, and cared for. In other words, we want to be loved. Now, I say this knowing that these are not easy times. Things are changing rapidly. And not all relationships, either inside congregations or outside of congregations, have adapted well to all the changes and the pressures they bring. Some relationships in life and congregations have been fractured. Change is hard for people and hard for congregations and clergy. Many churches have lost members and can't pay their bills. They can't provide the services they once provided. 
As I said, these are not easy times. Many people, pastors, and congregations are frightened, anxious, and stuck. In my experience, people do not do well with loss unless they feel they are being loved through it. They do not do well with change, deal well with fear and anxiety, unless there is a sense of security. They want leaders they trust. And trust in this context means not only that you are faithful or true to your promises, but that when you make decisions, decisions that affect the congregation, whether you're the pastor or the vestry, those decisions are made in awareness of how they will affect people and take those who they affect in mind. When I started this work many, many moons ago, I knew exactly what needed to be done, and I charged into doing it. If I could not get it done with gentleness and sweet talk, I looked for leverage and power and pushed even harder. You might say I used that pointed end of the shepherd's crook that I teased about last year. And I'm sure to your great surprise and amazement, it didn't always work. People pushed back, God bless them. To some degree, as thick and determined as I was, I eventually realized that congregations are made up of people not machines, not inanimate objects, not machines that can be turned on and off, that can be remodeled without their consent, turned in a different direction, and made to operate for a different purpose. It just didn't work. People, as it turns out, are living, breathing organisms, and so are parishes, which is why we call ourselves the body of Christ. When I talk about love, and talk about it in the context of congregations, I do so because it's the only thing that works. Understanding, patience, listening, love 
It's the only thing that works. And I'm sorry to say that I would have saved myself and all those congregations a whole lot of time and grief instead of charging off at exactly what I knew was right. I would have instead listened to Jesus who said, love one another as I have loved you. The love sometimes needs to be tough love, but it's love we're talking about. And when I use the word love, I'm not talking about some sweet feeling or some warm sense of regard, some kind sentiment. I'm talking about forgiveness, sacrifice, patience, because those of us who are in congregations, both pastors and parishioners, can do some very stupid, cruel, and destructive things to each other. Most of it I know all with good intentions, but not all. And I'm not talking specifically about others here. I'm talking about myself. When I mention quite casually that I've had donkey days, I want you to know that I've made some real mistakes, messed up, and hurt folks. Twice in my career, fortunately twice early in my career, I scheduled two weddings at the same place in the same time. Families do not appreciate that and shouldn't. Somebody else now keeps that calendar. I returned from one sabbatical and allowed myself to be manipulated by a well-meaning parishioner into undercutting all the good work my assistant had done in my absence. She became rightly furious and quit, and the congregation blamed me, and they were right. How do you show up on the day after that? At the beginning of a capital campaign, I once referred to a very generous gift that was being offered as a challenge, as a matching gift. And the donor was furious, stomped out, withdrew his offer, and the campaign never really recovered. When I look at you with warm understanding and forgiving eyes, you have to know it's only because that's what I've seen in God's eyes after one of those days. And often, in the eyes of parishioners 
as I have tried to live with and admit those errors. It's a journey. And in God's service, we can grow. But I need to assure you that it's not only clergy that mess up in this way. Members of a congregation can also be hurtful and hateful and make it hard to feel safe when you want to go to work on the next day. When I talk about love, I'm talking about that combination of hope, faith, and love that enables one to get up the next morning after one of those donkey days, whether we are clergy or laity, wake up, take a deep breath, give thanks for a new day, fall to our knees, try to forgive ourselves and others, and then when we can't, turn to God who can forgive both us and others and will give us the love and courage so that we can get up and go on, show our face, and believe that we can do better. Know that God loves us right where we are, even when more is called for. So what is my point in all of this? Number one, I am making no distinction here between clergy and parishioner, between shepherd and flock. We may have different responsibilities and obligations, but without love, none of it works. There are many ways I need to sacrifice for this to work. But unless you give back with acceptance and respect, even when we disagree, unless I experience affirmation and support, unless you offer, yes, even financial support, in the midst of all of this, None of it works. It's mutual accountability and support. Number two, both the gospel lesson and the letter from John talk about laying one's life down for others. Now, there are some who are called to be martyrs. Oscar Romero, Martin Luther King Jr., Joan of Arc, but not most of the rest of us. What laying down your life means for ordinary clergy and lay people is being able to do meaningful sacrificial work that is life-preserving and life-giving to others. Sometimes that means saying yes to the church and God 
when we can't figure out for the life of us where we'll get one more ounce of energy to do anything. And sometimes that means saying no to God and the church so we can say yes to our family and to ourself. Sometimes it means that members of a congregation have to grab the clergy by the lapel and chastise them because they've overcommitted and they're overdoing. And if they don't stop, that person is not going to be any help to themselves, their family, or their congregation. Number three, we're not talking here about pleasing each other. We're talking about enabling each other to have more abundant lives, to serve God and God's creation, to do what is right. Now, I'm not proud of it, but I came to this work to some degree because the church was the one place where I felt honored, valued, and cared for. And my hope in going into this work that I would always find that. And I did more than hope for it. I absolutely expected it. And I was deeply disappointed when I went into parish ministry and it felt like that stopped. It did not take long to realize that the parish had hired me, and I use that term advisedly because I normally talk about being called, hired me to care for and value them, not the other way around. Then what I thought was the last straw took place. In a tight budget year, the vestry decided to give the sexton, the person who maintained the buildings and grounds, a raise, and not me. His compensation turned out to be 20% more than mine, and this guy didn't even have a high school diploma. I was hurt, furious, obviously filled with a sense of entitlement and decided, okay, I'm going to do the bare minimum. Cut all the corners I can. It wasn't long till my time of prayer became impossible. God began to show me my self-righteousness, my sense of entitlement, my narrowness pointed out that I was forgetting what this was all about, serving God, God's creation, and God's people. I need to tell you that was a very important moment for me. Perhaps the first time in my life that I really understood mutuality, and more than understanding that I could be in mutual relationships. That was an incredible blessing 
not only in my work, but in our family. And people did, as I started treating them differently, do the same for me. And all that we have experienced together in this last year becomes possible. I'm sharing this because we all have been blessed. Experience renewal and creation in our life together. I pray that you find the same with your new settled pastor. But if you don't on that first day or that first week or that first month, I hope you now understand how important it is for you to say, oops, ouch, that hurt, I'm disappointed, but it's my obligation to bring love into this and to help create an environment in which we can all grow together in God's service. Joyfully, blessedly, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.